I believe you would be hard-pressed to find a more resilient or ingenuitive people than the people of Cuba. Uh, 1960, President Eisenhower slapped the first of the trade embargoes on Cuba. Uh, 1961, he broke off diplomatic relations with Cuba. And, and they, they just suffered under Soviet rule until 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed. They lived desperate lives with, with, with next to nothing. And yet, in their desperation, their desperation gave way to ingenuity. And rather than starve, they adapted. Here's an amazing quote about the Cuban people. It says, the Cuban home became a laboratory for inventions and survival. So Cubans learn to make do. When something breaks, they patch it up. When something doesn't work, they fix it. And if something is altogether lost, they invent it. They grill meat on metal chairs. They seal the bottoms of cars, transforming them into boats. From the suffering of 30 years of isolation has sprung a generation of amateur engineers, inventors, and welders. I want to show you some pictures today of Cuban ingenuity and Cuban survival. Now, the first picture, this is not a car show in Cuba. This is life in Cuba. Uh, Castro banned the import of foreign cars back in, I think, the late 50s, early 60s. And so they've kept these running. Uh, over the years. Now, the, the engines are very different than what they started out with, and some of the parts are very different, but they've kept those cars running, and that's a typical day, driving down the road in Havana. Uh, in fact, we've been invited, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to go or when it'll happen, but one of the missions that we work with has invited us to come over, Trish and I to come over, or go, go with them to Cuba to encourage churches there, and I said, well, do we get to do anything fun? And he said, we'll take a day and we'll go drive the cars, because they'll let you drive those uh, if you're in Cuba. So looking forward to that. Shorty Hammond would have, would have loved to. Well, he did. He drove those <laughs> way back then. Here's another thing. Uh, Cuba, uh, yeah, they seal the cars up. If, if, they're, if they're beyond repair, they can seal them up and turn that into a boat. So that is, a, that is now a boat. They adapted it. Uh, washing machine motors are highly sought after in Cuba because they can be used for so many different things. And here is a washing machine motor that's been welded to a boat propeller and turned into a fan. And it works. It gets the job done. Uh, here's something that might look kind of familiar. This is a bicycle that's been converted to a motorcycle. Have you ever heard of something like that? Uh, and if you look close, you can see, I don't know how safe that is, but it's a, it's a two-liter pop bottle being used as the gas tank on that. Now, here's something interesting. You'll probably notice there is no muffler on that motorcycle. And this is one of the most amazing things the Cuban people do. Since there's no muffler on it, the people who have to ride those, they take routes around the city so they won't disturb their neighbors. Isn't that amazing? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if people did that around here? Wouldn't it? <laughs> At 6 a.m.? Uh, that's, uh, that's an amazing... And this, this next one is one of my favorite uh, inventions in Cuba. This is called the Cuban Sandwich. And what they do is they take a ham sandwich and they weld it to another sandwich. They weld it with cheese and they make the Cuban sandwich. It's one of my favorite inventions in Cuba and it is absolutely delicious. And, or consider this image. This, <laughs> this is actually a sculpture. It doesn't actually fly, but it's a sculpture celebrating the spirit of Cuban ingenuity. It's called a hybrid of a Chrysler and it is a testimony to the Cuban spirit that says, what you call trash, we call treasure. You give us junk, 
and we will make it work. Now, I tell you all that because I think there is something of that in what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul writes, and you were dead. And then he turns around and in verse 4 he says, but God, dead in sin, does not mean that you are junk. And unlike the Cuban people, God does not just slap a spare pair of angel wings on you and call you good enough. He recreated you. He made you new for a new life with new hope and a new purpose. We're going to take a closer look today at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through It's on page 976 in those blue Bibles. And it is, it's just an amazing little passage and it deserves a second look. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is vital that we understand, as we saw last week, we were dead in our sin. We were trapped in our sin. There was no way out in and of ourselves, but through His grace, God saved us. So what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Do we view ourselves as, as saved? Well, we're saved, so we're finished. We're done. Now, this is as good as it gets. Or, or do we look at our lives kind of the way a Cuban might look at a washing machine motor and say, there are infinite possibilities here. There's possibility for new use. There's possibility uh, for, for service in new ways that go beyond ourselves. What could we become? What purpose could God have created us for? And you know, it starts not with us, but it starts with what God has done. And it's, it's so important that Paul states it twice. You have been saved by grace. Last week we looked at the first part of, of this chapter and there in verse 5, Paul wrote, by grace you have been saved. And then here again in verse 8, Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved. You know, if it's, if it's important, it's probably going to be repeated. Also, if it's important, it's probably going to be repeated. And if it's important, you get the idea. It's probably going to be repeated. Paul repeats himself here. Why does he repeat himself? Because he's drawing attention to, to the mercy of God. He's not just drawing attention to how bad we were, but how good God is, how powerful God is, and what He does for you that you could never do for yourself. Because you were dead. You were dead in your sins. But God loves to raise the dead, and He has made you alive together with Christ. Now that's not to say that you and I don't bring anything at all to the process. There is something that we must do. It's there again in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. There's no way around it. You have to bring faith to your salvation. You have to have the, the faith portion. Ver Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the faith that we bring. Faith in what God can do. It's, it's not faith in ourselves, but in what God does. That if He can raise Christ from the dead, then He can raise you from the death of your sin. Romans 10, verse 17 goes on to say, now faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. 
You see, faith is not just an acknowledgement of who Jesus is, but of what He's done through you. I have conversations with people who tell me what they believe. I have conversations with people all the time who tell me what they believe. I had a woman this last week. She told me she believed in God. She told me that she believed in Jesus. She said she believed in the cross. And that's wonderful. But James chapter 2, verse 9 says, even the demons believe and they shudder. They believe and the reality of their belief terrifies them. People tell me they believe in Jesus, but, but they never seem to believe in what God says about them. They never seem to believe that they're really dead in their sins, that they are trapped with no escape. And they never seem to believe what God offers through the death of Jesus on the cross. It begins with faith. You are saved by grace through faith. But you know, we don't put our faith away once we're saved. It's not that our faith is done. And so I have to ask, are, are you able to believe what God believes about you? And do you hear what God says about you? Not just what He says about your sin, or what He says about Jesus, or what He says about His death on the cross, but what God says about you. Look again at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mentioned last week that the word workmanship there, it, it just doesn't do it for me. I, I don't like the word workmanship. And and I've got to confess, that's due to my own shoddy workmanship. I am not a very good builder. And, and every now and then I have to build something. Occasionally I'll have to build a table or, or some kind of a, a box or something at home. And, and I'm awful. I didn't take shop class. I don't know how to do this stuff for real. So I, I measure one of the legs and, and get it about where I want it. And, and then I, I measure all the other legs by holding them up against that leg. You know, and cutting them even as close as I can get. And, 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 and I'll put them together. And then, and then when I have to screw something together, I never drill pilot holes, so I've got cracks and everything. One time I put a, this little table together, and I didn't have screws that were long enough, and it didn't take more than about a week that the front plate fell off of it. So I had to go back and jam bigger screws deeper into it. And of course, I didn't drill them straight. They went sideways in there. But, but it holds together, and as long as we keep it covered up and out of sight, it, it does the job. Thankfully, God's workmanship is not like my workmanship. And the word here, again, why would you call it workmanship? The, the Greek word here is poema. And that ought to look and sound familiar to you. Poema, it's where we get the word poem. It's where the English word poem comes from. And it can mean masterpiece. Not something that's just good enough. Not something that's just purely utilitarian. Not even like a, a Cuban work of art where you craft it together from old junk that nobody else wanted. God has lovingly crafted you. He has carefully created you. And then He has put you in a place of honor in His heart and in His home. He puts you on display and He says, look what I made. Isn't this beautiful? Verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Do you hear that phrase? Created in Christ Jesus. It's a callback to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, 27 says, so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. 
when God accomplished His first creation, He did it without our help. You know that? When God first created us, He did it without our help. He didn't ask us our opinion. He didn't ask us how big you wanted your nose to be. Uh, He didn't ask how, how far out you wanted your ears to stick. He didn't ask us any of those things. God didn't ask us to get ourselves cleaned up and get our lives straightened out and then He'd get around to creating us. He simply created us. We didn't have to be good enough to be created. He did it because that's what He has done. And Paul is bringing us back to that in Ephesians 2.10. God has created you in Christ. You're not junk. You're not damaged goods. You're not ruined. You're not beyond help. You have been created in Christ. I encounter way too many people. Some people in our community. Some people in our church. I, I encounter way too many of you that, to be honest... You seem to find your identity in in what's broken about you. You seem to find your identity in what's broken. It gets to the point that I wonder if you would recognize yourself if it weren't for your pain. Would you recognize yourself if it wasn't for your pain and your problems? And and that's not to downplay your pain and your problems because I know your your brokenness hurts. Someone someone threw you away because they were done with you. You You were used up and they were done. Someone told you that you were no good. That's horrible and that is awful and and they will answer for that someday but that's not God that's not what God did that's not what God says about you God does not identify you by what's broken in you that's not how he sees you and so what do you see in you you see the call here is to become who God created us to be the passage doesn't simply end with what God has done for us, that He has created us in Christ Jesus, but what He has created us, why He has created us, and what purpose He's given to His masterpiece. Again, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, unlike a Chrysler with wings welded to it, We're not here just to be looked at. We're not here to just be on display. We are here to function. We are here to fly. We are here to soar. God has created us to be His masterpiece, yes, but He has also created us to be useful, to serve His purpose. Good works, that's what Paul calls them. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think it's interesting, that's the second time He's used the metaphor of walking. Good works which God prepared that we should walk in them. And if you notice, back in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, Paul said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Even though you were dead, you walked. Even though you were dead, you walked. You were the walking dead, weren't you? Yeah. That's us. That's us before Christ. We are the the walking dead. Even though you were dead, you walked. And where did you walk? He says, you walked in your sins and trespasses. And, And I like that he uses the word trespasses because you walked in places you weren't supposed to walk. You trespassed. You went places you weren't supposed to go. Why did you go there? Well, he says, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You walked there because you were following the course of the world because everybody else was doing it. You walked there because you were following those who were disobedient. But now, but now, 
created in Christ for good works, that we should walk in them. I'm just guessing. I'm not making any judgments. But I'm just guessing from experience that when you walked in disobedience, when you walked in sin, when you walked in trespasses, I'm just going to guess, but no one really had to talk you into doing those things, did they? No one had to talk you into walking into the places that you weren't supposed to go. No one had to talk you into doing the things that, that you knew were wrong. For most of us, we didn't even walk. We would have to admit, we ran. We galloped right into sin. We, we made a beeline right for sin. But now, we've been created to walk in good works. We've been created to walk in service. To walk in good deeds. And speaking as a preacher, if I can do that, I find it confusing sometimes that no one had to talk you into walking into sin, and yet sometimes we have to talk you into serving. We have to talk you into doing the good deeds, the good works that God created you to do. You know, the, the statistics never change. About 80% of the jobs that get done in a church are done by about 20% of the volunteers. And we have some wonderful volunteers. And this isn't me standing here cajoling you into, into serving, but but I want you to understand exactly what you were created for. Why God created you in Christ. You weren't created to just sit in a pew. You, weren't, you were created to serve. Jesus didn't go to the cross so we could warm seats. He went to the cross so that we could serve. To change our world. And, and that begins with changing your world. With changing the, the influence that you have in the, in the world around you. I know people who've done that. I could tell you about a friend of mine who lost her daughter and her grandson to a drunk driver. One night, a drunk driver just blew through a stop sign, hit them, killed them both instantly. And, and she wallowed in that grief for many years until finally she decided to do something. And she started the, a local chapter of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and she changed her community. She, she brought awareness and she brought hope and she brought people together to do something about the problem of drunk driving. I've known addicts who lead support groups. I have a friend who was abused in her first marriage and now she runs a women's shelter helping get other ladies out of abusive situations. Those are some extreme examples. But what I want you to see is that your pain does not prevent you from serving. <clears throat> nor does your lack of pain allow you to sit back while other people serve. You have been created to do good works. You and I have been created to serve. I love Ephesians. I love Paul's letter to the Ephesians. My favorite part of Ephesians has always been chapter 6. Now it's going to be a while before we get to chapter 6. I'm just going to warn you. It's going to be a little bit before we get all the way there. We've got a lot of Ephesians to go through. But as a kid, going to youth group and in high school, coming to church, and as I started reading the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, man, it got into me. It really affected me. It influenced me. I had it up on my wall in my room. I love Ephesians chapter 6. That's the part where we talk about the armor of the Christian. The whole armor of God. And, and that, that imagery just really got into me. Breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of feet. The belt of, uh, the belt of truth. The, 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 the shoes of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That idea of going into battle for my Lord, that, that still stirs something in me. still gets me excited. I hope it does something to you also. But Ephesians doesn't begin in chapter 6. Ephesians starts in chapter 1. And it starts in chapter 2. And it begins here in verse 10. It begins with service. It begins with good 
works that we walk in. Back there in, in Ephesians 6.10, Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. What does that mean, be strong in the Lord? Well, look at Ephesians 2.10, which says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, created in the Lord for good works. Ephesians 6, verse 13 calls us to stand firm against Satan, to stand firm against the evil in our world. But Christian, standing begins with serving. Winning starts with walking in good works. And if you won't serve, then you're not going to be able to stand. You have been saved by grace and you have been saved with a purpose. Live that purpose. Serve that purpose. And show the world what an amazing Creator we have. Let's stand together and pray. Father, You took us bruised, battered, and broken. And You didn't just patch us up or even just put us back together. You created us completely new. And You gave our lives purpose. And I pray we never forget the grace that You showed us. And we never fail to walk in the good works that You've called us to do. Lord, we have such an amazing Savior. Let us be amazing servants. And Father, there are people around us who are broken. They are walking in places that they shouldn't walk. Let us show them the grace that first called us to You. Let us help them find the faith that they need to believe in what You have already done for them. Thank You for showing us Your love through Your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.